Welcome to Multiverse. In this audio transmission, we'll go on a track-by-track exploration of Gaddy Sassoon's Multiverse album, which is out now on a strangely isolated place. It's a project five years in the making and a world where music meets maths, physics and supercomputing power. Each track within this album is its own simulated universe of sound much of the basis of which draws on physical modelling software from NESS, the next-generation sound synthesis project at Edinburgh University, where only your imagination holds back the types of instruments you can create. We begin by asking Gaddy to give us some examples of these instruments and to tell us more about the process behind the making of this album. Examples they typically bring up are, you know, these these mile-long brass instruments or these giant lattices of, of interconnected strings with springs and, and, and resonant marbles sort of in, in the mesh or, um, uh, you know, just giant instruments of the many different descriptions, um, alien fingers that strum sort of guitar-like instruments with a thousand strings and with strange physical properties so that they slide and bounce in, 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 in very peculiar ways. And what you would get then would be these sounds that were very obviously abstract, but at the same time, because of the nonlinear um, uh, character of these simulations you would get markers that that are reminiscent of, of acoustic instruments and so it creates as kind of a this this in my mind anyway a synthesis domain where you have uh, both a synthetic quality and an organic quality and and that was really the moment for me when I, when I realized that that was possible that's when it really clicked for me because I've been I had been looking for ways to bring together um, synthetic sounds and and very very organic sort of orchestral sounds for a long time and i often felt like when you work with those two you 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 it's easy to end up with just one thing plopped on another but not so much a, a cohesive whole right and for me this these techniques really provided the glue to to to, to, to smash those two worlds together. And, and it just sort of started creating this whole language that, that emerged throughout the process. I got to use these sort of research level algorithms, which uh, they, they just kind of completely blew me away. You know, they, they were designed actually to create um, realistic sounds, right? And, uh, but because they work by essentially simulating the laws of physics, then you can go in when they're at a, a pure sort of like machine code level, you can uh, go in and manipulate the physics themselves and you can get these really sort of otherworldly sounds through them. And so that's, that's really the basis for the sound design of this record. And, and it's actually the origin of the title as well. That's why it's called Multiverse, because it's, each piece almost corresponds to its own set of laws of physics. 
So you're creating these instruments using maths. Is it right to say that you don't actually get to see a visual representation of them? That is correct. You don't get to see them. You get to imagine them. You don't get to see them. So I'm actually right now. I'm, I'm working on some drawings of what, of what that that imaginarium was all about. You know, um, it's it's a fascinating reverse engineering process in some ways. It's it, it, there's something to be said for working on sounds without a graphical interface. Imagining a brass instrument, what kind of parameters do you have to tweak? Um, it really depends on the model. Uh, when you're looking at brass specifically, uh, you have the material that the instrument is made of, the length and the, and, and the bore and the width of the horn, the number of valves, the air pressure, the amount of air, the, f the temperature of the air, um, and all these things. It, it takes a little bit of an effort of the imagination. So when it comes to parameters, you're actually tweaking maths. So you can actually go in and also look at the maths that's folded within the equations. So you, know, you can play with uh, the constants that de define the uh, materials, for, for example, that's a big one, or things like loss and inertia, but you're not simulating the air around the instrument. So what you're doing is you're sampling it uh, at any specific point of the geometry. In the case of, of, of um, uh, NES physical models, what's particularly uh, uh, striking is that they, they managed to also uh, include a, a phenomena called non-linearities. Basically, whenever you have an acoustic phenomenon, there's aspects of it. Uh, this is my layman description, by the way. Obviously, I, I'm sure a, a physicist could tell you in, with, with more precision, but um, you have elements of, of, a, of an acoustic phenomenon that are almost chaos-like, but are not chaos. They're not noise, right? Uh, you, 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 you may approximate um, the sound of uh, air being blown through a mouthpiece of a horn with noise, but it will never sound exactly the same way as air actually being blown into the horn. So for instance, for the horn models, you also had lip models. And you could change, what was fun at that point, you could change the material that the lips were made of and see what happens if the lips were made out of marble. offline processes. So the way it worked was I would have to write down instrument codes and score code, a bit like C sound or Super Collider if you ever played around with those. And then you would upload those remotely to a supercomputer because these things uh, are very, very computationally expensive. And then you'd get the sound files back, which hopefully would make a sound if you did your maths right, because there was no debugging tool. So you can imagine I spent a lot of sleepless nights getting clicks and or just like nothing or just big crashes of a remote supercomputing facility. Mm. One, one interesting example, I think one very uh, good example to, to, to visualize this is um, you could have, uh, say you have a string, right? You simulate that string with, uh, and, and you sample it on any number of points on that string. And each point sounds different because you are also, in the specific case, simulating the backboard that it's, uh, it's like a fretboard that it's rattling against. And it sounds different from any point that you, uh, along that geometry. 
Um, but then let's say that you remove the, the physical properties of the finger that's touching that string that make it so that the force of the finger is dissipated into the system that it touches. And so if all the force goes back into the finger, the finger will bounce back and it will just bounce into space because there's nothing there's nothing in that in that particular set of rules that says that there's say some kind of some kind of uh, a friction or any any element that's... so what happens is you know you you create the simulation you send it to the remote computer and the computer goes on calculating as long as it has computing power to do so this finger just bouncing into outer space and you you know you're clogging up that cpu for 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 many an hour and all you're getting back is a series of sound files that sound like a click and then a lot of silence. The first track on the album is Black Hole Fanfare. This track sounds like it's got some huge brass instruments uh, in it. In fact, there's one that reminds me a bit of the uh, um, spaceship in Close Encounters and, and there's all sorts of crazy Doppler effects going on. Uh, tell, tell us what's happening in this track. Sure. So yeah, that's actually that's that's exactly right. That's the Brass Models track, uh, Brass Models created by uh, Reg Harrison. And um, um, yeah, so we just you know me and Reg uh, sat down for a day creating and coding different giant instruments. Uh, the, the, my favorite my favorite example of it is a mile long trumpet uh, blown by Dragonfire because there's like one thousand Kelvin air going through it. Um, yeah, we basically created a, a um, series of instruments from gigantic to just really weird. And then I processed them on site at the first Nest studio uh, I worked out of uh, with just my, my modular rig. So my, my sort of uh, um, my little performance uh, Eurorack case. Uh, so that, you know, there's there's a little bit of processing in there, which is primarily things like like uh, Echophone and and clouds, and but you know, mostly used really as as, as effects buses. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the things that's interesting to me about this piece is how it it goes it, the same sort of the same models more from these dystopian sci-fi sounds as you as you say um to these almost vocal like textures at the end of it where some something happened at this point i'm not exactly sure i remember how that happened but um the the, the it's some vocal formants seem to emerge and it creates this this choir and then there's a final little sort of trumpet like note at the end that, that I just left in there because it was just it just all happened really organically so I was like okay cool leave it there
Are there some instruments that are harder to create than than others? Yes, but they're all very difficult. <laughs> um, before there is any sort of graphical interface for them. Um, on a practical level, there were definitely some uh, some instruments that required a lot more work on, on my part. Um, and I, I even had to sort of do some, some max patches to help my limited coding ability along. In fact, ironically, in, on the next track, which is uh, Life on a Tidally Locked Planet, uh, this is one where we experimented with, with one of the first real-time um, versions of the codes. So the code is actually being slowly but surely transformed into plugins uh, by a company called Physical Audio, which is uh, it's, it's, it's two of the guys from, from NES, um, Michele Duceschi, who's the guy who originally got me involved, uh, and Craig Webb. And... Um, yeah, they, 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 so, so there's parts of that that were actually made in a very uh, simple way, just MIDI notes into, into a plugin. Uh, and so when it gets to that stage, it's obviously quite easy, but you lose a lot of the, a lot of the, of the crazier uh, possibilities because by that point, the parameter space has to be constrained so it never explodes, the code never explodes. Uh, so there's a, there's, a, there's a peculiar trade-off that, that emerges there. Um, in this one, um, are, uh, you have basically large resonating bo bodies, like, like picture metal bars being excited by a really large bow, uh, bound with wires to other metal bars. Um, and so the, the pulses that you hear in this track in the sub bass are actually frequency beatings happening in the resonance models. Um, and then at the, towards the end of the track, the same thing happens, but in, in, in the high frequencies. Uh, there's a lot of valve distortion that I applied to it towards the end, so, um, uh, it's, so it, it becomes a little bit smudged in, 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 in its harmonic content. Um, and, and then, you know, you, you have, uh, there, there's also like live, live viola in this. So it's, again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to sort of blur the lines between synthetic and not, um, and there's also just, just regular synthesizers in there as well. is Pi, and that maths reference got me thinking about how complex some of this mathematics is. Um, once you set up the code to run, uh, how long would it take for the, for the computer to work things out? Uh, I think sometimes it was hours. 
sometimes I would just wander off into the Edinburgh nights and just <laughs> and just take it all in, you know, which is p partly probably why why there's a certain tinge to this uh, to this music. But um, this particular piece is, is is a good one to to actually talk about this stuff because this was one of the ones that took the most tweaking in terms of the codes um, and where really the nature of what I was doing came into focus uh, from a couple of points of view. So first and foremost, I had to create for this one, I, I wanted to uh, uh, really do something melodic and musical, right? So it starts off with some more abstract sounds and then it goes in more, it goes more melodic the backdrop to this is it's all the all the sounds that aren't the obvious sort of subtractive synth uh bass line in there they're made with a guitar simulation code uh made by stefan bilbao who's the head of the of the nest program and uh it's it's a fantastic fantastic environment because you can create as many strings as you want you, you can mess up the, the physics of the strings and the fingers and the backboards you can move frets around uh, you can have as many frets as you want it, it's it's completely open-ended but because of it it makes it extremely difficult to get anything musical just by writing you know into this sea-like environment and so and so I ended up making my own sequencer in Max uh, that would generate a list of events that was roughly formatted right for for Bing, then pasted into into the code with some silly stuff like you know you, you would you would need to go in and replace every semicolon with text edit or something because because blah it was very it was, I wouldn't recommend it it was it was. <laughs> It was a very uh, haphazard way of working, but I'm not a coder, you know, so like, I mean, I had to use whatever technical abilities I had to to overcome the, the, the skill gap that I had there, you know, and but, you know, it worked. And, and in the end, I was able to create something that was rhythmic and that was, uh, you know, I was basically doing it. The whole piece is these two uh, major seven drop two guitar chords. Um, it's kind of really suspended, sort of underwater kind of voicing, you know. And uh, um, but yeah, what was it? Okay, so this is this is quite interesting, actually. So um, one of the things about these studios that I worked out of in, in Edinburgh is that they had um, circles of sixteen speakers set up in them with two subs, and. I uh, eventually started working on eight speakers because that's a little bit of a, of a gold standard in, in in sort of immersive music circles. And um, it became a really integral part of how I was working on this stuff. So as I started sequencing this, these strange guitars with, you know, eternally uh, bouncing fingers on one harmonic and, and the, the way I had it set up, basically, I had one string in each speaker. So the way I would instruct the code to render would be to render one listening point per string. And then I would place those each string in one speaker. And that that was so that I could really take full advantage of the design capabilities of, of the physical system. So each string was suspended on a really tall fret at the harmonic point of the octave. And that's it. So I could really control, and then I spent literally nights of my life trying to get the, the, the variables right so that the finger would brush and hover 
And the finger was more like a needle, you know? Mind you, this is all sort of in my head. There's no real guarantee that that happens at that, at that, at that point. But it did, it did work. And then what, what was really, really uh, fascinating about working with an eight-speaker array was that suddenly I could think of each one of these uh, sources almost like you would with musicians in a room. If you see what I'm saying, instead of instead of working in the in the semantically coded stereo field, and then spatializing within there and trying to fit sounds together in 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 a in a, in a space where it wouldn't be very easy to hear all the details and, and and probably get immersed in the same way, I actually was sitting in the middle of eight speakers placed in a room without any particular psychoacoustic consideration. It wasn't this wasn't like a, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a, a, a movie post production suite. It was literally eight genetics in a circle, right? And, and, and it really it, it, it informed the way that this music came to be so much so that it became very difficult then to mix it in stereo because there was just this whole other process that went into it. But in hindsight, I don't think that this this writing could have happened or would have happened anyway in the same way if it wasn't within that um, structure. track is Young's Modulus. feels like the first time there's an instrument I can identify in this one, a, a piano. So um, this is, uh, the, yeah, the piano, the piano is the single piano chord of the whole record in this track. This uses three elements. Uh, one is, again, the guitar code, but with more abstract simulations than Pi. So, you know, the 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 simulations had names like like clang duet and metal storm bouncer uh, another one one of my favorite ones is mega exponent finger 1000 plucks which is like 1000 plucks a second and you know it's just kind of going haywire on on, on that side of things and it's layered with uh, uh, the the most the more staccato stuff you hear is again the the viola da gamba it's actually a guitar viol so it's like a it's like a cross between a viola da gamba and an electric guitar. You see it in a lot of uh, film scoring uh, studios. Um, and uh, shout out to to guitar viols Togeman. And um, the other one is my very favorite instrument, which is the Hacken Continuum fingerboard. Uh, supremely cool synthesizer, uh, which um, is is what I did those kind of atonal strings with. And uh, uh, it's it's actually the the uh, it, it has its own uh, sort of um, 
it's called Egan Matrix. It's made by Edmund Egan, uh, the synthesis engine. And uh, it's basically a, a, a crazy pin matrix synth, but where the pins are, again, mathematical formula. Um, it's the most expressive uh, tactile synthesizer I've ever, I've ever experienced. five is Moto Perpetuo's uh, reprise, um, which translates as perpetual motion. I, I get the kind of feeling in this track that there's a whole bunch of organ sounds that are being pulled through all sorts of different rooms of various shapes and sizes. Oh, that's quite that's quite cool that you heard that. Um, yeah, it's so this track is um, a part of a two-part collaboration. Uh, as, as you notice, there's there's two um, tracks with the name Moto Perpetuo on there. It's it's and uh, uh, they, they 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 I made these with uh, my uh, uh, lifelong at this point friend and, and co-conspirator uh, Anthony Boldino, who's um, a very good very good friend of mine, an amazing sound designer and composer. Uh, he had an album out last last year called Twelve Twenty Two, which was amazing uh, and. Um, we did a session in his Los Angeles studio with uh, sort of halfway through the process of, of making this record. This record, from the first time I approached the code to the moment the, the, the vinyl hit the shelves, it took about five years. So a couple of years back, you know, I was in LA for work and uh, we did, we did we, I, you know, I just showed up at his house and I was like, you know, I've got this folder full of ridiculous sounds, you want to do something? And uh, so we did, you know, and he's he's a he's a absolute genius of modular synthesis. I'm, I'm not afraid to to state. And um, so it, it's basically really a, a, a convergence of our sound design ideas. It's called the, the, these two tracks are called Moto Perpetuo because they are made by um, creating these bound masses. So you've got. The, 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 there is a mass, which is a small marble, imagine. It's attached to springs on both sides, which in turn are attached to strings. So it's, and it, it's, it's funny because this comes from like, wh why, why springs and bound masses and, and strings, I hear you ask. Well, it's because if you think back to your high school physics, you may recall uh, examples of Newtonian physics that involve a weight attached to a spring, attached to uh, some kind of binding, right? And so it, it was really intended as kind of like a proof of, of, of the validity of the numerical methods 
and uh, more than anything this kind of system but it turned out that you could remove the some you could change some of the physics of, of of this particular world and create eternal motion so essentially you would touch one of these strings the energy would uh, dispel down through the system uh, by means of the spring to this mass and because of the way the forces and everything was balanced then this mass would keep bouncing forever it wouldn't just no bounce but shaking forever Right, and so and so essentially, well, you would get these really cool drones with these metallic overtones and these shifting uh, harmonics that just never ended. And it was very, very interesting, and it, was, it definitely begged for some further processing. So Anthony and I uh, did that together, and you know, you can, you can. I picture these as like resonant networks because, I, you know, essentially the result is like a lattice of connected strings and masses and springs, you know, and, 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 and all kind of vibrating eternally, although it's, it's, it's quite a, a mind-bending thing. <laughs> six is called chaos and order and this got me thinking uh, about how much chaos you or how much you're allowing chaos to um, enable these sounds uh, compared to how methodical you have to be in terms of controlling them methodically speaking you had to be extremely precise rather in terms of method you had to be extremely precise there was no room for um let's call it parametric freedom <laughs> you had to be cautious because you, this, these were fragile uh fragile systems in in the sense that they um there's a very small gray area of operation deviating from the real world where you can actually uh, play you know so from that point of view you, not so much but then what's interesting is that just in the same way as if you threw a marble down a metal bar uh, or in, into a metal bowl you would never know exactly how it would fall the same is true with these systems so if you ran the same simulation simulation uh, uh, more than once it's conceivable then in, in 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 some cases you might get slightly different results you know in some cases it would be exactly the same but um that's my understanding of it anyway but certainly certainly you couldn't tell from just what you were doing in the code what was going to happen afterwards it, it was just, just so there was in that sense yes there was an element of, of of chaos and in this track specifically um there's some geometric waves that are just done with a with a with a with a chaotic uh 
sort of randomized sequencer in it's kind of a generative little patch of max it's it's that, that particular aspect of it is basically generative music 101 you know it's it's just you know a, a random number generator going into um, um controlling a sine wave synth with 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 a vca you, it's it's the it's the sort of melodic blips that come come in halfway through the track um and um and then it, 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 it is in the, so this, this track is the culmination. It's the last track I made. So it's the culmination of all the methods that were developed over the course of, of, of these different sessions. And, you know, the way it worked is I would go to Edinburgh. I basically became resident composer at Ness for a couple of years. Uh, still living in Milan, you know, going to Edinburgh for sessions for a few days and then coming back uh, here in my studio, just reassessing things, going back there. Uh, so, you know, obviously going, I don't have an eight speaker setup here. So, so going back and forth between stereo and, and immersive, um, often forgetting how these things worked by the next session. So I, having to relearn all the maths and, and, and make all the mistakes all over again. And, and by the time that this process became sufficiently solidified, uh, uh, this track happened and um, it was composed entirely on eight speakers. It uses real time and offline stuff. It uses the supercomputer as much as like straight on the CPU of the machine with just a plug-in. Um, there's live strings at the end. There's like a, a basically a live orchestra uh, with violin by the brilliant Eloisa Manera. And um, uh, yeah, it's kind of this, to me, this track really represents uh, all, all the aspects of, of, of what the Multiverse project really is about, you know. The next track is uh, Collision Suite. There seems to be all, all, all sorts of types of, to me, symbols vibrating nearby. There's kind of the, the, the sort of, you know, a reverberation within the sound of, 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 of symbols vibrating in this track. And, and also at one point, it sounds like you're actually inside a piano whilst uh, the wires of the piano are being plucked. Um, what, what actually is happening in this track? So this track is actually... Uh entirely the output of one specific code called net one so there is literally no processing on this except for um a little bit of um, dc offset and phase adjustments that i, I had to do in post-production to make it viable for vinyl um, but other than that you're literally hearing numbers crunching you know 
which I think is quite remarkable. This is, it's all maths, you know? And um, so net one is, 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 that, is, is that code that I mentioned uh, with the bound masses and the strings. In this case, it's, it's, it's geared towards creating more percussive sounds. And this is the first, this is the first piece I made with, uh, with Ness, actually. Um, so it was very much about experimenting. It was baby steps into, into tweaking the constants and, and without making, uh, and the variables without making the code blow up. Um, towards the end, you hear a reminiscence of what I was talking about uh, with, the, with the Moto Perpetuo suite, which uh, is this kind of uh, longer vibrations and, and resonances and, and, and rattling. And, and it's, it's basically the, the drones in the background are masses being excited in odd ways and vibrating for really long times as they are connected and to, to the parts that are physically being struck in the model. And at the end, you hear those tiny resonating particles interacting with each other, which is, you know, that's it's, it's a very clear example of what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, you're essentially hearing six pages of code. Before we get into the last track of the album, I'd be really interested to understand your thoughts about where you feel the future of sound synthesis is heading. I don't know. Um, obviously, I, I, it's, it's hard to make predictions about this stuff. I don't know that I'm better placed than any of, 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 of my peers to do so. You know, um, uh, just I can certainly say this experience gave me a glimpse of what might be possible in the future and I can imagine especially with the intersection of machine learning and this kind of methods we may well be going towards new new to sets of tools that really make it possible to create extremely credible simulations of pretty much any sound on on one side and um, very interesting sort of abstract explorations on the other side. It's very difficult for someone like me to predict where the broader technological context is going to go in terms of computing power. But one thing I've learned from working with, uh, with the Nest Group, and you know, their work is ongoing. The Nest project itself is, is finished. It was based on a research grant and it had its, its vision. You know, the papers were published and, and, and now new projects are coming out of it. Um, and you know now some plugins are being designed, and you know I keep talking to the researchers, and they tell me that as they refine the numerical methods, the computational cost goes down. I take that in I take the, <laughs> I take the word for it because I, I don't understand how that works. But 
from the point of view of essentially a professional user of, of, of audio technology for you know the best part at this point of uh, uh, giving away my age a bit here but about 15 years it, it's very cool to, 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 to watch a process that starts in science essentially and eventually will land on uh, you know DAW viable um, tools and uh, there, you know, there's a lot of value judgment that one could place on uh, whether it's a good or a bad thing. For instance, that it will, I think it's reasonable to imagine uh, at some point we'll be able to make a computer sound like a guitar without actually having a guitar. And I'm not too interested in that kind of uh, diatribe. You know, I'm, I'm much more interested in seeing what might emerge when some kid with a laptop that doesn't know anything about how these things are, 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 being, are being created suddenly one day finds it or, what, or whatever comes after the laptop, I don't know, you know, finds it in, 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 in the ether and just creates something completely unexpected with it. Um, but there certainly are a lot, of, a lot of interesting questions to ask, you know, and um, I know most of the conversations about this stuff that I, have, that I see happening on say social media or certain certain circles seem to pivot around artificial intelligence but i think you know there's there's and surely that's going to play a part but i think in more subtle ways than people expect you know like you already have like isotope for instance i i, I work with them quite a bit and they, they implemented a bunch of really cool uh machine learning stuff you wouldn't necessarily know it when you're using it uh, but it's it's you know it comes from applying neural networks to to music software design. It's really cool to me that at various levels of of awareness of the process, it seems like different people get different things out of it but everybody seems to be getting something out of it anyway everything about this is, is completely intentional and completely momentous in its in you know, every single collaboration every single person that's been involved every single there's a lot of artwork that happened around this in terms of installations and visuals and you know we did a ted show we did uh, the sonar thing we did various gallery shows and uh, we created all these films and 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 everything about that felt like okay this is actually this is a journey as opposed to i'm sitting at my computer making a record because i i want to exist within a, any particular space or another you know and i found that super refreshing because it felt like there was a commonality of intent with all the people that I collab collaborated with. It wasn't, it wasn't an ego-driven pursuit. This pursuit was driven by something, I think, more interesting and, and, and profound than the kind of, um, you know, a kind of narcissistic impulse, you know. And I found that I, I really found it to be super exciting and super fun, and and it's really it's really amazing to see people react to it now, you know, um, knowing that there's that's that's generally something I couldn't have done on my own, just on my own, you know. It's it's more than just rearranging elements, you know. In, in it's 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 a process, you know, and 
yeah, it's, it's fucking cool, man. 